Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. So the title of today's message is Travel Plans. So we're reaching, nearing the end of our journey in the book of Romans. And we are going to, um, there could be a change. And if you, if you would, I'll, I'll take this time to ask for this. If you could pray for my family. My dad um, texted text us early this morning about 2 a.m. Uh, his brother, my uncle, passed away last night. Um, so, and it was, um, you know, it all kind of happened sudden. Uh, he was diagnosed with cancer, I think, maybe two months ago. So it's just... Real, real quick. I think he had one round of chemo, and he just was not having it. So, but if you could just be in prayer for my family. So, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I, Sarah and I will be traveling, so we ask for your your prayers. We're going to New York for a conference within the Sin Network. So, we'll be leaving tomorrow morning, traveling to New York. It's Monday evening, all day Tuesday uh, of sessions and things up there in Brooklyn. So, pray for our safety if you can. And then I'm not sure what's gonna, what will the funeral arrangements be. So we're probably going to be moving and grooving a lot this week, uh, and we covet your prayers. Um, so anyway, and, and coincidentally, right, the title of the message is Travel Plans. Um, so anyway, we, we never know what our travel plans will be. Uh, and, you know, you can tell a lot about someone by their travel plans. How many like to take vacations? Uh, you know, that's one thing we've noticed about this area, uh, moving to Baltimore, like they love their vacations. And maybe it's because no one likes living in Baltimore. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's like, we just love our vacation. And you all vacation more than anybody, I think, on the planet. And so y'all are just, <laughs> y'all are just trying to get away, I think. You're like, yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're going to go somewhere else <laughs> as much as we can. Uh, but anyway, uh, travel plans, you know, who you travel with what you take with you, what your itinerary is. Uh, all of this says a lot about you and who you are and, and what you like to do. And so as we reach the end of this book, Paul uh, shares his itinerary. He shares his travel plans for what's next. And kind of, I mean, honestly, like, I don't know of a more impactful book for me. This has been awesome. Like, walking through the book of Romans, I've learned so much. Uh, and the, the tail in here, honestly, if, if I get to preach the sermon next week, it might be Cody, uh, depending on what, what happens this week. But uh, 16 has some interesting things. We're going to try to sum it all up um, and, and kind of present it to you. Uh, but I, I think that you'll be pleasantly surprised about some of the salutations and greetings that we're going to find in the last chapter. Um, but before we get there, uh, Paul, once again, it just never ceases to amaze me as he speaks under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and says, what's, what's next? What's coming? And how this church at Rome will, will have a part in that. Um, so anyway, let's, let's read it together. Verse 22 through 33, and then I'll share with you the message. Uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 22 through 33. Uh, he finishes up the statement from verse 21, where he says, But as it is written, those who were not told about him... Uh, told, told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. That is why, the text for today, that is why I have been prevented many times from coming to you. So we know Paul's concern, his primary concern, his primary message is getting the gospel out, right? Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed 
uh, of the gospel. It's the power of God to those that believe, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Um, So Paul is concerned about starting, planting churches, getting that message out. And he says, because of that, because I'm concerned with that message, because I'm concerned with the logistics of starting churches, planting, discipling other people, I haven't made it to you yet. So he's not, he's saying, look, I wrote this letter and I sent Phoebe there to read it to you among the churches and instruct you in it. Uh, But the reason I haven't come is because I'm busy doing gospel ministry, right? Uh, Look at verse number 23. But now I no longer have any work to do in these regions. And I have strongly desired for many years to come to you. Whether I travel to Spain, uh, I'm sorry, whenever I travel to Spain, for I hope to see when I pass through to be assisted by you for my journey there once I have first enjoyed your company for a while. So he's saying, when, when I uh, am able to go to Spain, I'm going to pass through Rome, and you're going to be able to help me with this journey, he says. Uh, right now I'm traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints, because Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Now, if you've been, been with me for a while... Uh, and you were with me during the study uh, of Corinthians, you'll know a little bit more about this offering that he's talking about. Um, but we'll, we'll touch base about it here in just a minute. Uh, they were pleased, verse 27, um, and indeed, so uh, yes, they were pleased and indeed are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they are obligated to minister to them in material needs. Like what? What's he talking about? Money. Money. Exactly. Verse 28. So when I have finished this and safely delivered the funds to them, to who? Those in Jerusalem, the poor, uh, the poor Jews in Jerusalem, I will visit you on the way to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And then he changes gears here. Verse 30. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in prayers to God on minist- uh, uh, to God on my behalf. I love that. He says, strive with me in prayers on my behalf. Paul is saying, will you pray for me? He valued them praying for him. Uh, pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. There's three things here that he asks for. Pray that he would be rescued from the unbelievers, that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, And that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So we're going to just deal with Paul's travel plans today. Uh, And I've got a few neat things that I I feel the Lord is just speaking to me about. uh, And I'm going to share them with you. Um, But if you go back to the program, I'm not going to read the first part, but I pasted in there an excerpt from the Faith Life Study Bible on the application of Paul's travel plans. And if you have time in your quiet time, maybe this week, go back and read it. I won't take time for it this morning, but it's really good. And I think all of you should read it so that you have a a broader context. So Paul is on the move. Can we see that? Amen. He's on the move. He is discussing his plans with them. And he shares not only his next steps, but also how they can help him accomplish the mission. Um, I see this, and of course we're going to get to the prayer aspect towards the end of the message, but really in the front end of his travel plans, we see that my man was like 
he was so organized. He had a plan. He was working that plan. Uh, and you, you got to think about who he is, right? I mean, Paul, of course, I'm a little bit of a fanboy. Uh, you guys know that by now. Uh, he's my favorite dude. Uh, love following him, uh, everything that he has done and written about. And uh, you think about this. This fellow sat at the feet of, uh, what's his name? Gamaliel or something like that. Uh, Gamaliel. Set at the feet of Gamaliel, one of, one of the leading philosophers of his day. So when you think about like Aristotle and the teachings uh, how they were ahead of their time within philosophy. This was not foreign to Paul. Paul was literally sitting at their feet, um, fluent in multiple languages, a Roman citizen, right? So he could, uh, by way of travel, he had basically an open passport to travel in the Roman Empire because he was a Roman citizen. So uh, therefore, Roman citizen, a, a Jew, as touching the law, blameless, right? So he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was as essentially the, the, the leadership or the piety of, of the, those, those leaders that Rome would work with to make sure that the peace was kept, um, you know, within those Jewish communities. And, and like he said in his own testimony, as touching the law, blameless, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Benjamite. Um, so fluent in philosophy, fluent in culture, uh, a Roman citizen, God bless you, uh, being able to move about in the empire. And um, it, he just, he had all those rights and privileges. No one would have ever imagined uh, this man, Paul, who was killing Christians, right? Basically stifling out, stomping out this resurgence of people believing in who Jesus is. Uh, and he had orders, right? He had orders from the leadership to go and persecute them at Damascus. And so on his way to persecute Christians, he is struck blind, knocked off his horse, and he is spoken to by God Almighty. Woo! You know, so it's like, how? This is a miracle. His conversion was miraculous. And his lifestyle, of course it was miraculous, right? Of course God would pick him because he was the mouthpiece for everything anti-God. So if Paul is going to literally keep quiet for essentially 40 days, you know, three days blind and then goes off in silence and comes back changed, different. Everything that he had already spent his life doing, he was undoing. All of the effort and energy and finances and backing, many believe that Paul was, was engaged. Um, and then when he entered into this season where the Lord dramatically saved him and transformed his life, we know that Paul did not take a wife. Paul ended whatever relationship he had. Paul did not want children. Uh, why? Because he, he said, my purpose, my sole purpose right now is to, to get the gospel to the Gentiles. My sole purpose is to radically transform uh, the nations with the truth of the gospel. And so he didn't have time for the entanglements of a family. Uh, a family is a ministry in and of itself. And so even in writing about Peter, we, we believe that Peter had a family. Um, and talking about Peter and how his ministry was more local. Paul, there's nothing local about his ministry. It was to the local church, but he was constantly what? On the move. Uh, and we believe four different missionary journeys. And I, I don't even think that that term quite depicts it. Um, but if you, if you think about his, his travels, right, back in the day, um, they didn't have Cash App. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, yo, Cash App, me shoot real quick. 
uh, that way I can, you know, whatever. Uh, he'd be like, look, there's poor, poor Jews in Jerusalem. Cash out me and I'll, I'll get them the money that they need. Like, there's no cash out, right? It's not, it's not a thing. Or PayPal or whatever. I, I don't know. Uh, but back then, it was physical money. So think about the dangers and the implications. But Paul had this thought. He's like, look, in Jerusalem, where the church started, right? Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So from Pentecost, where, where the Holy Spirit falls and there's a transition, right? We see this transition, the church really uh, beginning from that point on. And everything spreads from Jerusalem. But this is a time of oppression for the Jews, And we know this from the Claudius affair within Romans. We've talked about this, right? Where they expelled the Jews uh, about 10 years prior to this writing. And then they what? They came back into the empire. So the Jews not really having homes. If they were living in Rome, it was with someone else. Or, you know, they had uh, lost a lot of what they had. And so the Gentiles were the ones who were more established, who had jobs, who had financial security. And so Paul's like, aha, I know, this originated with the Jews, uh, this originated in Jerusalem, and they're the ones struggling financially. I know what will bring them all together faster than anything is if the Gentiles who are uh, financially stable give money to the Jews, people who don't like them, who have never accepted them, right, and who really don't even have a context for them in their lives, if the Gentiles bless them financially, they're going to see that the Gentiles actually believe in Jesus and that they're a part of this thing called the church as well. And so Paul believed that this financial gift, this rounding up of support for the church at Jerusalem, for those Jews, would ignite the unity within the church, and he was right. How do we know he was right? Because the gospel spread. Because the gospel came to the Gentiles. You and I are here, right? How many are Jews in here, right? And there may be one. Okay, good good for you. Half Jew, right there. Uh, so we got half. That's all we got, right? <laughs> I mean, we don't have a lot of Jews in here. Uh, we got half of one. And, and if you're watching online and you're a Jew and you're thinking about joining our community, please join. Uh, we would love to have you. But my point is, is like, we're a mostly Gentile audience here, okay? So what Paul has done... Uh, was grafting in the Gentiles into a, 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 you know, exclusively Jewish religion, and it worked. So, but a big part of that, it's overlooked, and maybe if you are reading in commentaries and other scholars, you'll see it. A big part of Paul's ministry was this offering. He talked about it a ton in Corinthians, and he's talking about it here. Why? He's pushing it. He's sending out letters. He's saying, guys, I need you, and I need you to be all in financially. And Paul was not someone to say, I need you to do it, and not being the one doing it. Not only did churches, and a lot of them, we believe, I'll save this for next week. I'll give you a little tidbit. Uh, But we believe Phoebe was a part of this. We believe that there were strategic business women like Lydia and Phoebe who had thriving businesses who helped Paul uh, financially. So Paul was constantly pushing against the status quo, against where women were not really a part of and women were keeping silent and that was the culture. Paul was saying, that doesn't matter. Women can be a part. Have Phoebe read that letter to them. Have have Lydia support financially and we're going to tell everybody what they're doing. Do you see what I'm doing? He's constantly going against the mold, breaking those contexts that, that were historically oppressive. And he's saying, oh, no, 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 no. God's going to use everybody. Everybody's going to be a part. And everybody has a part. So that's kind of what we're experiencing here. Um, and so there are some really good things um, that we have to learn from his travel plans. And so I think for me, 
as I'm reading this and I'm going, okay, how do I accept this? Do I think about this? Like, I want to have Paul's travel plans. Probably not. I have four children. I would be more on the Peter end, right? I can't do a lot of the things that he was doing. I am more of a local church pastor. I, I'm rooted here, right? I'm not traveling a lot. And there are pastors who, who travel all the time, and that's what they do, and that's their ministry. That's not my ministry. That's not my context here. I don't believe that's what the Lord called me to do. Um, you know, so for me, I read this, and I'm like, I'm more on the end of, like, the Roman church, like, how can I be a part of what you're doing, Paul? And how can my ministry help benefit your ministry of travel? And that's what we have to do. We have to see this thing that God might not call you. And, and look, if you're young and you're here and you're a single dude and you don't want to get married and have kids and you want to devote your whole life to ministry and be an evangelist for the Lord, have at it. Right? I'm not saying don't do that. Whatever God has called you to do, do. But for the majority of us, that this is our home and this is our local church, what we should do, in my opinion, is look at this text and say, all right, let's approach this like he's talking to us. Like he wrote the letter to Bethlehem Church down there in Bullies Quarters, and Paul is going to pass through our community, and we're going to help him reach what? The next community right? Um, and so there are implications here uh, of finances, of camaraderie, and of prayer, and we're going to look at all of them today and kind of unpack them. Cool? All right. How many have a coffee in their hand? Anybody? All right, let's take a drink. <laughs> amen and amen. So one thing that I like here uh, that Paul explains, let's look at it. Verse 22, he says, this is why I have been uh, prevented many times from coming to you, but no longer have work in any of these other regions. Why? Because, skip down, right now I'm traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints because Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor. And if you look at when he says he's going to pass through, I strongly desire, verse 23, I strongly desire for many years to come to you whenever I travel to Spain, for I hope to see you when I pass through and to be what? Assisted by you. So what Paul does is he comes out of the gate saying, uh, guess what? I'm doing ministry and there are other people in other places of the world that are, that are doing ministry. I think one of the things that the enemy is really good at is isolation. The enemy is really good at keeping us in this perspective that we're the only ones doing anything for God. And, and many times, and look, as your pastor, if you feel that way, look, I want to talk to you. I want you to know that you're not alone and that the Lord sees you and hears you and he affirms who you are in him. But look, that is a sign. If you thought sometime this week I'm all alone, you're unhealthy. You need to get help. You need to get around people. Why? Because that is a tool of the enemy to isolate, to keep them away. If you think that what you're doing is better than what someone else is doing, that's like a step towards that direction. Anytime you're elevating what you're doing above someone else and or you think you're the only one doing it, you're in trouble. What's one of the first things Paul says here? He says, I, I, this is what I'm seeing. Paul explains that there are other places doing the same things that he has been encouraging the house churches in Rome to do. So number one, you are not alone. God is not just leading you to do the thing, whatever the thing is that God is calling you to do. Does that make sense? 
whatever God is calling you to do specifically in your context of your local church, guess what? God is calling someone else to do the same thing somewhere else. It's a big thing. It's not a small thing. The thing of the church, it it was a big thing back then. And think about how much bigger it is today than it was back then. We got multiple denominations. We've got people that look at things completely different, right, than the way we look at them here. Is that good or bad? It's good. They're reaching different kinds of people. I'm reaching the place, and wait till we, we, wait till we preach next, next week's passage. You're going to be like, what? Uh, I may say some things that you're like, that's a little out of character for you, Robinson. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, but I'm reaching this point where I'm more, uh, I'm more looking at things like they're just doing it that way. That's okay. God's going to use them to do it different to reach people that we would not be able to reach. Because the goal is reaching people. So why is it as much about us being right and them being, or is it just that they're just different? That's just a different way of doing it. Do you think there's any room in the church? Do you think there's any room? Well, no. It's got to be this way. It's my way or the highway. (laughs) Okay, sure. I'll take the highway. (laughs) Bye. Travel plans. Bye now. Uh, yeah, look, we are so like stuck in our, look, maybe that's the reason why you feel so alone. (laughs) Just saying, you know, because you're isolating yourself because you think you're right and you're the only one who's got it figured out. Like Paul is saying, like, think about what he's doing. The whole point of the whole letter of the whole book is I'm going to get Torah abiding Jews and non-Torah abiding Gentiles to come what? Together. And, and there's this beautiful thing called Christoformity where they're going to all act like Jesus in their respective traditions. Fancy that. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that false teachers can be false teachers and get away with it. It's not what I'm saying. There are, there are people that are literally going against, and maybe we'll do like Jude or something coming up next for another book that we're studying. Like people who don't believe Jesus was the son of God, people who don't believe Jesus is God right? Or he's a prophet or he's this and that. That's not them just doing it their own way, right? That's them being a false teacher. We have to be able to discern. And that's why I'm here to help, you know, me and and the other elders of the church. I'm here to help and say, hey, uh, that's dangerous. That's not doctrinally sound. That's something that scripture is actually against, right? We, We not only have our feelings with the Holy Spirit, we have the word of God, right? So the two will coalesce. The two will, will always, uh, complement. They will never contradict, right? So if someone comes to me and says, Pastor Matt, I think God is leading me to, and, and you say uh, something that's contrary to scripture, I would say, I can confidently say God's not leading you to do that. Well, how do you know? You're not my Holy Spirit. I know because God is never going to tell you through the Holy Spirit to do something that's against scripture. See how that works? Jesus, if Jesus himself says, my father works and I work, what? Hitherto. In other words, Jesus said, my steps are ordered by the Father. If Jesus wasn't working on an island, then neither should you be. If Jesus wasn't calling his own shots, then you shouldn't be calling your own shots, and he was God. God in himself is a community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Yahweh's supreme being has a community where he talks about it with himself, right? And when we say himself, we say that because we believe that all three members of the Godhead are consubstantial. They are of the same substance. They're co-equal and they operate together. What does that mean? It means nobody should do life alone. 
God doesn't even do life alone. Do we see that? Okay. Everybody's like, <laughs> way too much doctrine for 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Uh, okay, you get, you get the drift, though, right? Like, it's all going to work together. And so I would just rather err on the side of unity with, and listen, you know that I'm, you know, I, I can't help it. Like when something is something that I don't agree with or whatever, I'm just like, ah, I don't like that. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to keep silent about things in certain ways. But at the same time, um, we need to do better, right? We need to see that if there are other Christian brothers and sisters, other congregations that are just doing it differently than us, it's okay. Like they're still brothers and sisters. And, and we, how many are cold? How many are just right? Okay. You guys win, kind of-ish. It was close. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're cold. Um, let's turn the fans on. I'm just kidding. Oh, you cold people. <laughs> I'm always hot. I'm boiling up here. Anyway, so, uh, look, you're not alone. God is, God's not leading you to do something different than, you know, 93 other million Christians around the world. Make sense? We're going to fit within that. So I want everybody to admit right now how many are depressed and alone. No, I'm kidding. Don't do it. <laughs> uh, look, we all struggle with those feelings. So the first part to getting help, <laughs> the first part to getting the help that you need here is, follow me here. This is important. The first part to getting the help you need here is to realize that God is doing it other places that aren't here. Right? It's not just... Your bad and your problem and your issue is somebody else's issue too. Solomon put it this way. He said, there's nothing new under the sun, right? There's nothing new. Okay, here's the second thing that I also see. Now I'm going to meddle. Y'all, who, want, who wants to be meddled with this morning? Anybody? Who, who, who wants to be challenged? Anybody want to be challenged this morning? Good. All right, I'm going to challenge you. Just the two of you that raise your hand. Everybody else, you get a pass, I guess. Look at verse number 24. Verse number 24. It says this. Whenever, I already read it, but we're going to go back to it. Whenever I travel to Spain, for I hope to see you when I pass through and to be what? Assisted by you for my journey there. Hmm. Let's keep going. It says, right now I'm traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints. Now watch what he does here. Because Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. I already kind of gave a little synopsis of what this is all about. So watch this. Yes, they were pleased. Isn't that funny the way he says that? They were, they were pleased to give their money. Yeah, I didn't stutter. I said it right. They were, they were what? They were pleased. They did it with joy and not with grief, right? Out of, you know, like... The Lord loves a what? A cheerful giver. And yeah, they were cheerful, Paul says. Why is that? Let's look at it. Uh, I'm just trying to find my place here. Um, and indeed are indebted to them. Now here's the statement here. Verse 27. For if the Gentiles have shared in their what? Spiritual benefits, then they are obligated to minister to them in their what? Material needs. So here's what I'm seeing. It was a predominantly Jewish religion, and now the Gentiles are partaking. They're grafted in, right? And so the Jews are struggling financially, but they're rich in faith. 
They've seen Yahweh work for millennia, right? They've been God's chosen people, and now Paul is showing that God is actually redeeming all nations. And so what we're doing is we're showing up late to the party. The Gentiles are going, oh, the God of Israel, Yahweh, is the one true God, and this is amazing, and we're going to follow him, and we're going to believe in him. And the Gentiles were like, this guy, Jesus, oh my goodness gracious, he gave everything for us, and did you hear he was perfect? How do you know? Did you see him heal? I mean, the people who watched Jesus do miracles were there. Paul met him face to face, right? And so the word has gotten out. It's spread like this is amazing. It's incredible. And you can have it. He actually doesn't just love the Jews. He loves everybody. And Paul is writing like, you know, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And the Gentiles are going, every knee? Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Wow, at Pentecost, they all heard in their own language. They all took it to their home, their place. God's redeeming the nations. Yeah, wow, this is neat. So now the Gentiles are going, well, this is changing me spiritually, but what about physically? And so when you have a people group like the Jews who everything is parsed out perfectly and they're tithing off of their, you know, their barley and their mint and, and they have systems and structures for all of that. And that doesn't mean a whole lot to a Gentile. They're like, I have money. What do you want me to do with that? <laughs> and the Jews are like, oh my gosh, <laughs> these people have no clue how to act in their faith, right? One's brand new and the other one's been doing it for a long time. The other has traditions that have been passed down, but here they are, the Jews that have their traditions, they're broke. They're poor, they're oppressed. And the Gentile says, God's commanded me to love you. The greatest commandment is that I what? I love you. You're worried about keeping all of your commandments, but God has said that if I actually love my neighbor as myself, I'm keeping all the commandments. And the Jews are like, fancy that. Mm -hmm. You have the easy one. You just love me and give me money and you don't have to keep the Sabbath. I see how it is, right? This is the point. But Paul is saying, guess what? Here's what they've figured out. The Gentiles have figured this out. They've been radically changed spiritually, and so they actually want to do something physically too. He says they see value in what God has done in their life to the point that they actually want to give of themselves. That's like grace giving. In other words, they're not giving because they feel like they have to or out of tradition. They're giving because they what? They want to. They're actually seeking first the kingdom of God and not worried about everything else, right? And so this is what Paul is saying. Here's my statement for you, church. And I feel like this is a, this is a next level. If you're a Christian and you're a new believer and, and you're just coming to Jesus, you're watching online, maybe you've been watching for some time, what I'm about to say is like, it's like tier two. It's after you follow the Lord and after you love Jesus and, and you see that he saved you and he's given you a, a new home in heaven. And like that is, it's, it's like an unresolved note. You know what I mean? It's, it's it, some of you, if you're musically inclined, it's like a, a chord, it's like a four chord or a five chord. It's like hanging and you're waiting for it to resolve. You're waiting for the song to end, right? Um, some of you, when you receive Jesus, that has to go somewhere. He's not just saving you uh, for the sake of saving you. He's saving you for a what? A purpose. He has a plan. He has something for your life, right? And so what I'm saying is, is, is it's tier two. 
This is not for the, I mean, it is for everybody, but my point is, is like, maybe even if you balk at it at first, like just sit on it a while, write it down, come back to it over the next six months. Cause I think it's going to mean something to you. Here's what I wrote down. Have you measured your value of the spiritual by your contribution in the physical? Have you measured your value of the spiritual by your contribution in the physical? Do you know what you got when the Lord saved you? And maybe you're watching or you're here and you don't know the Lord. You've never declared your your loyalty to Jesus. And if that's you, declare your loyalty today. Follow Jesus. It'll be the best decision you've ever made in your life. Give your life to him and say, I'll serve you no matter what. But if you've, listen, if you've done that, if you've put your faith and trust, he gives you an inheritance immediately. He calls you a son and a what? A daughter. And, And similar to the prodigal son, he reinstates you, gives you a place at the table. You, you are a part of something that is incorruptible. Your inheritance of heaven, your eternality, right? That, that you've moved from death to what? Life. We can't put a value on the life of Jesus and what he has done for us. We, we, can't, we can't fully comprehend what we have gained when we gained the Lord Jesus Christ. When he, our brother, went to bat for us and his death, burial, and resurrection sealed, right? It sealed uh, us with the Holy Ghost as we declared our loyalty to him. The forces of darkness and the forces of evil have no more power over our lives. We talked about this more last week. And so my point to you is when you realize spiritually what he's given then you start to weigh the physical nature of what you have and how it can contribute to the plan spiritually. Does that make sense? If, if, if our Gentile brothers and sisters, Paul says this, they've realized that what we're, what we're teaching and what we're believing, it's real, it's alive, and Jesus is transforming their lives. And so it pleased them to say, who in the church needs something? Who in the church, the the Jews in Jerusalem, they need help? Here. They rallied. If you read the book of Acts, they were selling property off, giving the money to the church and saying, use this for the perpetuation of the gospel. Why? Because they finally understood there is a spirit realm and what happens in that spiritual realm is really what matters. And if we are kept in a physical realm, worrying about all we can just see and touch, right? And we never connect the physical with the spiritual, then we are a very immature Christian. We we are barely a believer at that point. Think about it. How many like food? I was, uh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Some of y'all got really happy. One question. You think food? It was like a median. It's like you were nervous I was going to ask for an offering or something, you know. But when I said food, your hand just shot up. How many, uh, how many shop at Mom's Organic Market? One? Two? Anybody else? Sometimes? No. How many shop at Wegmans? Okay. A few more. All right. 
How many shop at Save-A-Lot? You know what I'm saying? Aldi, anybody? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs> Clipping coupons, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Sarah and I, we, uh, we were talking about it this morning in the 9 o'clock service. Food is something that we all need, right? Like we, and we can measure uh, maybe where you're at in life by how much you're spending on food. And it's expensive. And two, like, I think it's important, like, as a disclaimer for people who uh, maybe are watching online, some of you that are here in person, like, I think it's important to eat right. And, you know, I woke up last November, excuse me, and realized that I was, you know, a fat slob and I needed to do something with myself, right? And so coming up on a year of just doing more activity, jujitsu, going to fitness classes, eating better, eating less, you know what I mean? Doing greens in the morning. Uh, you know, it's just coming up on a year. And the weight, like some of y'all, it's like, <laughs> you know, the, the weight loss gimmicks, right, that are, you know, in 30 days. Nothing happens in 30 days. You're going to look worse in another 30. You know what I'm saying? Like, I give myself a shot. I lost all my weight. <laughs> you know, and then what are you doing? They're like these uh, multi-level marketing schemes. <laughs> you know, you're selling it to 100 other people. Anyway, I'm off my soapbox. My point is, it's important to be healthy. It's important to take care of yourself, take care of your body. The longer you take care of yourself, right, the more more work you'll be able to do for the Lord, the longer you'll be around. So I'm I'm not saying it's a bad thing, right? I'm just using this for sake of illustration that um, we spend money on food, right? And some of us, a lot of money on food. And for, for those that value eating good food, it costs a lot what? A lot more. But regardless of whether you value that or if you, and you can find good organic things at Aldi, you know, you can shop for a deal. But um, the point is, is we spend, regardless, we spend a lot of money on food. And, and stuff's so high right now, isn't it? Like, it's crazy. It's like, you know, a can of, uh, I don't know, a can of soda is just like, oh, that'll be $18. That's <laughs> really. Oh, you want 12 of them? Yeah, that'll be $105. <laughs> Oh my goodness, Joe Biden's American. Anyway, but it's it's just it's crazy, you know. So we're we're just dealing with rise inflation, rising food costs, but it's expensive. But here's the thing: don't we have to have it? We look at it as a commodity that it's something that like we have to do. But we pick what level. I how many ate out this week? Let's be honest. How many ate out? Come on, hand up, hand up high. How many went to McDonald's? Come on, my brothers and sisters. Let's go. Hey, hey, me. I'm with you. I'm with all of you. I had a vanilla shake. Amen. (laughs) We all go out to eat. We spend a lot of money at restaurants. We need it. We need the food. So you can value. Watch this. You can look at your life and say, how much do I value my health by how much money I spent on food? Now, and I don't mean this. I'm not saying this to be unkind. I'm really not. I know a lot of you, I'm not picking on this morning the widow's might as the illustration in scripture. I'm not. Some of you, it could be your last dollar, and if you gave a dollar, it was a much more significant amount. I told a story this morning, Sarah and I, when we were a youth pastor at another church, <laughs> we would take the kids on Wednesdays to the mall, White Marsh Mall, to the food court, and they would eat wherever they want. But one Wednesday, like, we didn't have money to get food that night. And I remember praying. I'm like, Lord, Lord Jesus. We were living at, at Lockwood in the row home in Dundalk at the time. And I was like, Lord Jesus, we, we need a couple bucks for food. 
or we just wouldn't eat, you know? And I remember, like, we're standing out on our back concrete porch, and a $10 bill blew up against the, the fence. And I was like, Lord Jesus, I'm going for it. <laughs> I'm diving on that 10 bucks. And uh, the lady down the street that was like, anybody see my $10 bill? I'm like, nope, it's mine. <laughs> Putting that thing in my, right in my pocket. <sighs> like, we know what it's like to have bad seasons where, you know, and it was actually a good season. You know, the Lord taught us a lot of lessons walking through some of those times. But this isn't an issue of scale, Right? It's an issue of, have you reconciled the two? The amount that you care about food and eating, does your budget match that? Well, of course, because your, your belly is dictating it. We're going to go out to eat. We're going to eat really good. It's going to be a lot of money. Well, spiritually speaking, if you're still, if finances aren't an issue and you're still giving $5, $10 a week, my point is, is that you, you reconcile the fact that a 5 to $10 a week amount of money does not justify the spiritual implication of what God is doing in your life. Here's, here's what it is. You're not valuing it. Well, the pastor is always thinking about money. No, I'm not, first of all. <laughs> we talk about it when it comes up in the text. And we're also going to do a special series on it soon. But because <laughs> I, I really think, listen to me, I really think this is an issue. Why do I think this? Because we're spoiled. We don't understand value in this society anymore. We do everything quick and fast. And we'd rather, well, I mean, we'd rather buy 20 pairs of $50 sneakers, right? Instead of one good pair of shoes that are leather that last. Why? Because we care more about what they what? Look like rather than how, what the quality is. Does that make sense? My point is to get you, I'm trying to read this text and let Paul's words like hit you. Real, really here, not as much here. But honestly, some of you, I think that it's just, it's an issue of you haven't come to grips with this in your faith. How much value is in your church relationships? How much value is in our friendships here? Like when people struggle, like Sarah and I would do anything to help restore a marriage, right? Like that's how it should be. If you, if you need something, you should be able to get what you need here in this room. If you need someone to pray for you, you should be able to go to someone, and we're going to talk about it in a second, and say, hey, will you what? Pray for me. How much do you value that? Oh, $5 a week. <laughs> do you understand? You're not reconciling the power of a spiritual life meeting the physical life. Well, I just don't have that much money. How much did you spend on food? You value feeding your face, and we all do, right? And so it, it's a non-negotiable. My point is that Paul is trying to get them to see that at Macedonia and Achaia, it has become a what? Non-negotiable. It pleased them. They were like, hey, take my money, bro. I'm a part of something huge. This is great. This is incredible. Paul, you're, you're, think about the logistics. No cash app, no PayPal, right? He had to have a wagon, like a covered wagon. And he had to recruit people from churches to be security, to walk. Why? Because if they gave an offering, that was something what? Physical, like a sack of money. 
Imagine if he did four different missionary journeys, how much money Paul had in a covered wagon, and he's going in between towns and communities where the robbers were laying, right? This was a huge logistical thing. And can you imagine these people? I ain't giving my money in that covered wagon. <laughs> I don't care about them Jews in Jerusalem. Like, everything has to be right for us to do anything and move on it. And Paul's like, no, the Lord's going to, we're, we're going to do our best to be organized and, and like, I'm going to have people that are protecting it as much as we can. But ultimately, he ends and lands on prayer. But my point is, is they were, they were eager beavers to jump in and help out. Can we as a church just do this? And this isn't about equal giving. It's about, it's about looking at our spiritual lives and measuring how much we value that spirituality by how much physical aspect we put with that spiritual aspect. What's another way to do this? How much do you serve? I value my church. I love it so much. I've hit on this like three weeks in a row, I think. And I'm doing it for Chelsea. But I value it so much. How many kids do you have? I have 45 kids. Really? Yeah. Can you serve in the nursery one week? No. <laughs> Like, we value being able to come and enjoy and sit and do, but, like, how much effort are we volunteering? That's another, isn't that another area where physically we can do things in our church to show how the spiritual aspect actually what? Means something. Well, the Lord knows my heart. <laughs> yeah, but nobody else does. <laughs> God bless you. Nobody else knows. <laughs> it would be a secret to everybody that you're a Christian anyway. <laughs> it's rough, isn't it? Look, what would Paul say if he was standing here? Hey, guys, I literally gave up everything. Hey, I broke up with my fiance, chose to not have children for your sake so that the gospel will come to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I... Uh... I come to church sometimes, twice a month. That's good. I think I just hocked a loogie there. Sorry. Are you picking up what I'm putting down here? Sorry, I need to get you on the front row. We have to reconcile our spiritual and our what? Our physical. It's, it's like, it can be comical, Right? But what's really sad is when Sarah and I are praying together and we're thinking about our church and the future and we're going, man, I just wish people would get involved. I just wish people would give their time and their talents and I wish they would get involved financially. I wish that they would think it's bigger than their 10 to $40 a month. Not that we, you understand what I'm saying? Not that we're not grateful for those things, but it's not really for us. Do you understand? It's really for who? For the Lord. It's not equal giving. It's equal sacrifice. And really, it's just equal obedience. It's not even a sacrifice. Okay, moving on. It's 12.06, and all of you are tired of being in church already. One week talking about finances. Amen. Let's see how he closes it out. Look at the end here. It says this, Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. So does anybody hear the tone change? Does anybody hear that? Now I appeal to you, Brothers and sisters, the tone changes through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in what? Come on now, in what? In prayers, in prayers, if you don't have your Bible open, to God on my behalf. One thing that I, I literally, I was so encouraged by this this week. 
Paul says, I want you to pray for me. Man, he saw infinite value in not just prayers in the church, but them praying for who? Him, specifically. And so here's, here's how the circuit completes, and Paul's really good at this. So he says, your spirituality, if you value it, will show in the physical nature. But then it actually can't stay there. You can't just do and give and serve. You have to actually pray that what you do physically is actually effective. Isn't that crazy? And, and you know what this does? This keeps us from being pharisaical. Well, what do you mean? Haven't we all met these people? <laughs> Don't you know how much I give? You know, they're, they're literally like filling out their checkbook register. Does anybody use a checkbook register at all anymore? They're like filling out their checkbook register where everyone can see how much they wrote to the church, right? Or they're like, oh, let me check my bank app. How many of these transactions went through? It's, you know, my church is on automatic withdrawal, my church giving. <laughs> right? It's, it's, we've all met those people. The, the service, they're called Pharisees, right? Jesus dealt with them harshly. And, and when our service and when what we do becomes about us, when what we give becomes about how good of a giver we are and how good of a servant I am, right? You're doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for him. So what I love is to see how this circle that Paul, in his itinerary, in his travel plans, it's, I'm super organized. I've got all this stuff going. We've raised a ton of money. These churches are, they're involved. They're giving. They're happy about it. But... If I don't have you praying for me, watch this. They won't even receive the offering. Look at it. Look at it right there. Verse, 30, verse 31. Pray that I might be rescued from the unbelievers, that, that, uh, that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. In other words, those proud Jews that you're giving money to, they might not want to take your money. I need you to what? Pray. It's so much bigger than... We're trying to move the needle here. I, I'm coming to you as a pastor. I'm saying, look, you got to do more. Why? Because the gospel, Romans 1.16, we're not ashamed of what Jesus did. Jesus gave it all for you and for me because we're unable. And so when we realize what Jesus did, then we see our place and what we need to do and how we need to contribute to the kingdom of God. But it can't stop there. You can't stay in that place where what you're doing is where you receive your value. You must then pray through and say, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be a part. And God, I pray that the money that you allowed me to give would find its, its proper resting place and that you would multiply that for your kingdom. And God, I pray that you'd give me the wisdom to serve. And I pray that you'd give me more ministry to do. Do you see what I'm saying? If it stops with what you're doing and it doesn't involve your prayer life, it's, it's useless. And Paul saw it. It's that circle that's completed. But once again, one thing that I just absolutely love is that he leads this by example, and he asks for them to pray for him. So my goal in this is to say, okay, who have you asked to pray for who? For you. That's like what this is all about. Who have you gone to in your church community and texted this week and said, hey, I really need prayer today. And then that person that you ask actually say, okay, I want to pray for you. 
last week, a couple in our church came up to me and said, will you pray for healing for X, Y, and Z? And I said, absolutely, laid hands on, prayed for healing. And then when I was done, this blew me away. People never do this for me. He stopped and he said, hey, can I now pray for you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you can. <laughs> like right now. And he just wrapped his arms around me and we prayed together and he prayed over me. And I'm like, yes, that's what it's all about. What problem do we have? What problem do we have that can't be solved by our brother and sister praying for us? It's like the old pastor said, every failure is a prayer failure. Every failure is a prayer failure. Like literally for salvation, we declare our loyalty to Jesus and we what? Ask him to be our Lord and Savior. He's sitting there. He's done all the work, but does he come and force his work on you? Or do you have to say, I decide to follow you, Jesus, right? Yes or no? If we are saved or delivered from the penalty of our sin, it's because we have chosen to follow Jesus. And Jesus, please save me. Jesus, please deliver me. Jesus, I need you because I'm unable to do it. Why do we think it's any different in our sanctification as it is in our justification? Our justification being declared righteous was by God. And so how are we going to live for God except we ask him? He's not going to force himself on you. I got saved magically, and so everything else is going to happen automatically. I have an automatic faith. It's automatic. No, it's not. It's, <laughs> I don't know what that voice was. Anyway, There's a new one for the week. It's not automatic. He wants a relationship. <laughs> Do we ever make that mistake in our marriages? Everything should just be, you know, set it and forget it, like a rotisserie oven. Remember those infomercials? Set it and forget it. And now if you call, we'll give you three rotisserie ovens. I don't have space on my counter for one, but we're just going to keep up in the ante. And if you call right now, we'll give you four. It's so weird. Rotisserie oven for every room of the house. Set it and forget it. Our relationship with the Lord is not set it and forget it. If we had to ask for salvation, we have to ask for wisdom and ask for power, and ask like for grace, and ask for mercy. Here's three things Paul asked for. Number one, can you pray for my protection? When was the last time we prayed for a safe trip? When was the last time we prayed for protection? When was the last time we said, Lord, keep the enemy at bay? Surround me with your angels, with your messengers, with your love, with your strength. Number one, he said, pray for my protection when I go through Judea. Number two, he said, pray that my ministry will be effective. Pray that they actually receive the offering. Uh, I just, I'm not volunteering in church because last time I did, no one appreciated it. Well, maybe you weren't effective. <laughs> well, that's mean. I'm not, I'm not saying it's on you. Maybe you just didn't pray and ask the Lord to make your ministry effective. You think this is something that I, look, many a week I get up here and I'm like, that was awful. Like, Lord, can you please do better next time? <laughs> like, I need help. I need wisdom. I need your spirit. I can't get in this pulpit and do it on my own. I got to bathe this thing in prayer. And maybe that's the issue. We're not pushing the boundaries of the physical nature of our ministry because we're overhearing complacency. And if you step out and say, okay, oh my goodness, I received some amazing spiritual things. I'm going to do something physically. I'm going to give something crazy. 
more than I've ever given. I'm going to serve and, and give more time than I've ever given. Then you're going to pray like you've never prayed before. <laughs> you see how it works? This, this, is, this, is how it, this is how it goes. So the Apostle Paul prayed for protection. He prayed for an effective ministry. And then he prayed for this, number three, fellowship. He said, my prayer is that eventually on my way to Spain, I'm going to get to stop through Rome. And we're going to get to sit down and meet and talk. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you just want more friends? How many just want more fellowship in the Lord? How many just literally want to be able to break bread with people more often? Do you realize that Paul literally prayed for that? But yet we can't sit in our like complacency and think, well, well, it's me. <laughs> Nobody loves me. I don't have any friends. Nobody wants to hang around me. Well, first, talk a little louder. Maybe they'll want to hang around, you know. <laughs> Look, have you prayed for it? Every failure is a what? Every failure is a what? We're going to keep saying it. Every, every failure is a? It's a prayer failure. This thing, Paul says, it's so important to me. This is the gospel. This is the message. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and we are the witnesses of it. And God's going to do something amazing, and he's going to use you, and he's going to use me. But we got to pray through this thing. Uh-huh. Every failure is a prayer failure. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.